the line that says, and the, and the soul felt its worth. We are worth a lot. It's going to be hard now. <laughs> Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 13 and 15. Thank you. <coughs> For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have to be careful that we don't waste our time. That we don't waste our time here on earth. You know, they say that we're, we're born into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. And it's true for materialistic things. But it's impossible to leave this world with absolutely nothing. You have decisions that you've made. You have actions that you've taken. And for some, as they leave this world, they've stored up the wrath of God. And for some, they've acquired wood, hay, and stubble. And for other people, they've acquired true riches that will last eternity. But one day, um, for everybody in this room, death is going to look at us and say, it's, it's your turn. And uh, we have to be ready. We have to live a life that's preparing us for that day so that we don't go to God, our Lord, our Savior, empty-handed. Um, I believe that while some are called to be evangelists and are pure evangelists, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel in some way and to have beautiful feet and to go and to preach and to share because the Bible asks us a, a, a question that we have to deal with. How can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And while the Lord is responsible and he is the Lord of the harvest in his wisdom, in his majesty, he has made us responsible for, to go and to preach. And so we, uh, we don't want to live a life that um, is only acquiring short-term things. We don't want to leave this world with the world and have lost our soul. I think one of the reasons that we get distracted and we, we start focusing on things that um, are not eternal are because we have so many uh, identities. You know, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm an a engineer, a manager, I'm a really good basketball player, you can ask Bobby. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, we're all a lot of things, a lot of different things, and we all have different goals and aspirations and demands on each of those roles. But 
if we if we think about who we are really I'm not going to be a husband forever you know Jesus said that in the kingdom of God in heaven none are given into marriage I will be today and for the rest of my existence in eternity a son of God and so we get distracted when we think I'm a I'm a dad and I, I exist here to raise these children, to teach them about God, to feed them, to make sure they're safe. That's why I'm here. But it's not. God has blessed us with children. God has blessed us with spouses. God has blessed us with jobs. But that is not why we are here. <clears throat> we are here as ambassadors of Christ. We are here to be the light of the world, first and foremost, in each of these roles. <clears throat> So I would, I would be lying to you if I said that um, I woke up every morning telling myself I'm a son of God and that's, I need to do X, Y, and Z to, to fulfill my roles and responsibilities as that. But I think we should strive every morning to, to push for that. You know, strive because God, he's worthy. Jesus is worthy of that effort. If we can identify ourselves as um, sons and daughters of God, we, are, it, we become a lot more willing to accept that we are servants and slaves of God. Um, it's not something that we like thinking of ourselves as. We like to think of ourselves as God's friend. And the Bible says we are his friend, thank God. But we are his servants. We are his, his bondservants. We are here to serve. God, Jesus came to serve. And if our master, if our leader comes and he comes to wash our feet and to serve, you have to believe he expects us to do the same. We're not here to coast. And so before Jesus came into our life, before Jesus was born, died, resurrected, we were slaves. We were slaves to sin. And our master was strategically taking us to our death. Every day, the light that was installed in us fading more. But we have been transferred, removed from that, that kingdom of darkness and transplanted into a kingdom of light. But we are, still maintain our slave status, our, our servant status, but now we are slaves to righteousness. And our master is kindness himself. He is for us. And so we can accept fully our status as slave or servant. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. Because our master is very trustworthy. Our master is very, very good. So we need to remember what Paul says. That as he was in chains, writing letters to the Philippians, we're called not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. I want to read um, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, 
um, many years ago that the har harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you have to understand that that's true today. It's, it's as true as it was, as it is today, as it was then. And you are the laborers. He's saying, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that you will take on the responsibility, will see yourself as a laborer, will take the courage and go out and minister the gospel because the harvest is plentiful. There's so much to harvest, but there's not enough laborers to get it. Fruit is falling off the tree and rotting on the ground because there's not enough people to pick it. That's what he's saying. I was under the assumption that if you live in the United States of America and you're not a Christian, it's because you've heard the gospel, you've analyzed it, and you've made a conscious decision to reject it. But it's not true. I um, was at Clearwater Beach talk, talking to a young man, preaching the gospel to him, and I was asking him questions about what he, his understanding was on the death of Christ, the resurrection, Jesus' life at all. And he was unable to tell me why Jesus died, why, what, what that had to do with salvation, completely unaware. I went home completely shocked, completely shocked. And uh, there's a whole generation of people didn't grow up in church. Their parents didn't take them to church. They didn't go to church. They've heard of the book, Bible. They've heard of the man, Jesus. They've heard of Christianity, but they don't know what the gospel is. So you have to believe here in United in Clearwater, Pinellas County, where you live, in your neighborhood, in your sphere's influence, the harvest is plentiful. We have to give people a chance to hear. We need The laborers need to go out. Um, and I think that's encouraging. To me, if I live in a country where everybody has heard the gospel and everybody's where they're at, and if they're a Christian, they're a Christian. If they're not, they're, they made their decision. That, it, you know, that stinks. But if we are in a country that has full of potential, potential Christians, I mean, that's, that's actually exciting. That's, that's, that causes me to hope. In um, another conversation that I had with a, a friend, it was online. I was evangelizing online. <laughs> Trying to anyways. And she, it was like one of those chats, instant chats. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, just completely shut me down. And I'm like, okay. I'm exiting the conversation and I say, just let me just say one thing, and I'm, I'm done. Jesus cares for you. He died to pay for your sins. Done. Close, I close the, the chat window. And I sit back, and I'm like, okay, that didn't go well. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, she, I get a message from her that says, I can't believe what you're saying is affecting me right now. And uh, so I talked to her about, the, about God the next day. I gave her a Bible. What, is that, what should we take away from that story? In Colossians 1.6, actually, yeah, in Colossians 1.6, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Everywhere that the gospel goes, it produces fruit. Despite what Satan wants you to believe. 
He wants you to think that you're preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, and it's doing nothing. But look at the world we live in, how many Christians there are spread out throughout the world and how Christianity has spread. The reason that this person I was talking to, I just said the simplest little thing about God. The gospel is mysteriously powerful. It's alive. It's life itself. And so we're not just telling a story, but this gospel, this good news, the best news that we've ever heard has power within itself because it's backed by Christ. So we have a group of people that are just ripe for the picking and we have this powerful tool called the gospel and God just needs the laborers to go and to present the gospel because people will respond. They will respond. Um, when we took the youth to USF and preached for a week, um, we came back with a list of 100 people that were wanting to uh, get involved in some kind of Bible study to learn more. When you present the gospel because it's powerful within itself and because the harvest is plentiful, it's there. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 5, just to drive that point home. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on me, my wisdom, but on the power of God. Why was she affected by that? Because the power of God came upon her and was affecting her. It wasn't me. So I have to, uh, I have to say something on fear. Because uh, as much as I've preached the gospel, I went to JDC for like, seven years straight. Uh, I've preached up here a few times and I've preached to strangers and friends and I've been a Christian for you know, a long time, 11 years I think. And I, I still get nervous to talk to people about God. I w was at lunch um, at Subway with a co-worker and I just, I, I felt the tug of the Holy Spirit to talk to him, um, but I failed the mission. Just completely didn't do it. You know, I thought about how um, how past friendships had kind of like went south a little bit after this awkward conversation or what he would say to other friends about this awkward conversation. I stalled because I, I asked myself, what, how, what would I say? How would I start the conversation? You know, and what if he says this? What if he says that? These are things that you have to be worried about and concerned about if their salvation rests upon your wisdom but their salvation rests upon the power of God and the gospel. And so, you know, in, uh, in the Old Testament, I, I read stories, and sometimes I read stories, and I'm like, why were, why were the Jews so stubborn? And If I was there at that time, I wouldn't be like that. <laughs> you know, the, the story where uh, the, all the spies go to look at the, the place that God has said, this is your, this is your land, and... And the 12 come back, 
and they're like, listen, this place has got milk, it's got honey, look at these massive grapes that we, we brought back. But dude, the people are huge, they're monsters. We will lose if we try to fight them. But two of them, Josh and Caleb, were like, no, we got this. Like, God, God said that this is for us to take. We just need to go take it. And, um, but the nation, they said, they started um, uh, cursing Moses, and they started saying, let's get us a leader to take us back to Egypt because it's, it's better there. Let's go back into slavery and instead of trusting in God, who, look, who, at this point, they'd already seen all the miraculous things that he had done to miraculously escape slavery, to get out of Egypt, and they're still doubting because these guys have big muscles. <coughs> it says that we felt like little grasshoppers before them. That's what, uh, that's what the Bible says. And this made God very angry. This made him angry. And, you know, that's, that's how I felt in this conversation with my friend. I'm, I feel like this little grasshopper. <laughs> you know, so I read this story, and I'm like, man, they have no excuse. They saw all the miracles. God promised it. All you have to do is just go do it. I totally would have been like Joshua and Caleb in that moment. Totally. And then now I'm here. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the gospel that brings salvation. I've got the harvest is plentiful. And I can't do it because I'm scared of what might happen. And so we have to do what we can. Everybody goes through fear. Everybody will go through it. But we have to, we have to look at what God has done, the sacrifice that he has made. And we have to give, find our courage. We have to ask God for courage. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit just to open our mouth. Remember, you don't have to be wise. You don't have to be persuasive. You just need to present the gospel. He is the Lord of the harvest, not us. He is the Lord. Um, they cannot believe in what they have not heard. In some way or another, the divine revelation of the gospel has to be presented to them. It has to get to them. Um, hearing is the ordinary and normal method of transferring information. And so I want when I'm speaking today, I want to be clear that I'm talking about opening your mouth and saying something. You know, we, we can live a Christian life, and we need to live a Christian life to set a good example. But there's a time to do that. There's a time to read the Bible. There's a time to go to church. And there's a time to open our mouth and to share the gospel. Um, if you can imagine if companies, firms didn't advertise their products or services, they're just going to make this really killer car but I'm not going to advertise it. it. It wouldn't really work that well. The other companies that say, hey, I'm advertising, they're going to smash them. And so we're not manipulating. We're not, we're not trying to be salesmen. We're, all we're doing is we're showing the world what's available to them. We're showing the world God's program for salvation and how wonderful it is. And that gospel that we have to share the gospel of Jesus is the best news that earth has ever heard from heaven. The very first evangelists were angels. And that, on that night when uh, Jesus was born, the glory to God in the heavens and peace on earth in whom um, 
What does it say? And good. No, um, peace on earth in whom God has. Let me just find it and read it. It's in Luke. Maybe you're right. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. He is pleased with men. And um, not because of what we have done, obviously. But he made man to be in his image and likeness. We were destined for so much more than slavery and sin. And so he says, I'm coming to bring you peace. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the whole world, takes away the sin of the world. Our, he calls us to repentance. John the Baptist preaches repentance, and the apostles preach repentance, but repentance does nothing to satisfy sin. Jesus does. Jesus takes away our sin. He came first to remove that guilt that sin brought, that guilt that would bring judgment from God. He removed it completely. He came and he paid the price that redeemed what we had lost, our sonship, our status with God. Second, he, in, in coming and removing the sin of the world, he removes the power that Satan has over us, the power that sin has on us. And, Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so he removes the dominion, the lordship of sin. Christ strikes at the root of evil. He completely annihilates it. And the Bible asks, Death, where is your sting? Where is the sting of death now? Because of what Christ has done. And this, this uh, offering that he makes is to the whole world. doesn't matter what language you speak, how old you are, what sin you've done, how much money you have, but it's to everyone. And he does it by taking, it, taking the sin of the world upon himself. Let me read you something out of Leviticus 16.21. He, the priest, is to lay both hands on the head of of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, confess them, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for that task. So Jesus is a scapegoat. So the priest takes the goat and he confesses all the sin and all the sin is transferred from the Israelites onto this goat, and the goat is sent out into the wilderness. Jesus becomes like a sponge and absorbs our sin, absorbs our sin completely, and is sent out into the wilderness. That is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking that Jesus is our scapegoat. But at the same time, it's, it's so freeing because we couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus, God, could have dealt with sin by removing the sinner 
as he had done in the old world. But he found a way to abolish sin and to spare the sinner by being sin himself. And so this gospel is the best news that the world has ever heard. And we need to uh, be brave and to, and to preach it. Um, that song, um, O Holy Night, when it says, Fall on Your Knees. Um, it, it, that, I love that song. It's like my favorite song. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. If we think about that we were bought at a price, at a, and a, a, a very expensive price, we don't want to um, take it for granted. We don't want to get to the end of our life and wish we had done more. Let's today make a decision to allow God to lead our life, to drive the, our life. Let us take the back seat. Let us allow him to drive us into difficult situations. Let us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And let's share the gospel. We want to see the church grow. We want to see this church grow. We want to see ourselves grow. There is a, there is a need, great need to hear the word of God. There's a great need to study the Word of God, to learn it for ourselves. But we plateau. We will plateau in our spiritual growth unless we start sharing. Why would God feed you more? He doesn't need to if you're going to just put a cap on what he teaches you. But we need to go out and preach, and then we'll see increase in ourselves. So we want to see spiritual growth first and foremost. We want to see our communities grow, and we want to see people sitting in these chairs and so that's on us. We need to go out and preach the gospel. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest, but we are the laborers that he's called us to. So if you love the Lord, if you love the Lord, think about what I'm telling you. Think about what I'm telling you. And it doesn't mean that maybe tomorrow you're going to go preach the gospel. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be nervous. But don't, don't let yourself off the hook. Think about these things. When you wake up in the morning, try to, try to pray, God, I will say what you want me to say. Give me the strength to do it. And then just go do it. Um, you will, you, we all want to feel close to God, too. We all want to feel a connection with God. And that also is um, dampened when we don't preach the gospel. When we preach, we feel this connection with them as well. So, um, if you, you'll stand, I'm going to pray for us that we would take on this call. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, so many things that you've given us, God. So many things. We, we, can't, uh, we can't express our thanksgiving to you, God. Um, you don't rub things in our face, God. You don't, um, you don't, um, God, you're, you're so patient with us. We live our life. We go from here to there. We make money. We buy things. God, we're so preoccupied with life. And you are just gently leading us and nudging us, Father God, into your will. You're waiting for us to look up to you and say, God, this isn't working. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I need. I need you. 
and then you're right there. You don't um, make you don't make us go in timeout and wait and, for a time, but right there when we call upon you, you're there for us. God, you take away the sin of the world, Jesus. You take away our sin. God, every lie, every dumb thing that we've said, every dumb thing that we've done is completely washed away because of your sacrifice, because you were our scapegoat. You absorbed our sin, removed it. You look on us and say, we are the righteousness of God. And so we, we repent from our sins, Lord. We try to live the best we can. But Father, it's what you have done that makes us clean. And so we offer the best thanks that we know how to give. And Paul says that one of the best ways, Father God, is to live a life of sacrifice. That not only are we called to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Help us to live a life that takes on that responsibility to go preach the gospel, to go open our mouth to those who are lost and hurting. Father God, we know that um, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to, to live life. But somewhere, somebody is suffering. Somebody somewhere needs to hear the gospel every single day. Help us, Father God, not to feel the weight of the world on our shoulders because it isn't. It's on you, God. And you have the strong shoulders to take it. But just help us to take on that little part that you've called us to do, to go out and to preach. Make us brave, Father God, for your sake. In your name we pray. Amen.